0: reading uh, verse 28 uh, we spent last week in verse 28 and you really are just getting a portion of the thought process of the apostle here so we need we need 28 for our context so uh, this morning Romans 8:28 through 30 uh, if you're able please stand for the reading of God's word I want to remind you, Just we had the context of the things we don't know, and one of the beautiful things about Romans 8:28 from last week is, is just that opening statement, here is what we know. And, uh, oh, Christian, here is what we know. Romans 8:28. When And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Uh, One of the many podcasts that I listen to each week, uh, a man was being interviewed and his son was uh, born with uh, a genetic disease that was so rare that it was unknown. Uh, They didn't know what it was and uh, some doctor figured it out and so the syndrome now is named after the doctor uh, because he's the one that found it out and I think at some point there were 30 children on planet earth that had this Unique, almost unique, genetic disorder. This man was a Christian before his uh, son was born to him. And they wrestled through things. And, and I've been with families that have wrestled with things, especially with children, trying to figure it out. One test after this test, after this, after this. And he, he, it was interesting to me because uh, I just preached on Romans eight twenty eight, And in his interview, he said, I got to the point that if someone was going to quote Romans 8, 28, I wanted to choke them. I got so tired of hearing that. Yeah, your kid is suffering. Yeah, it's really tough. But don't worry. All things work together for good. He said he switched. uh, His thoughts switched one day when he was listening to a John Piper sermon. And John Piper was preaching on the man born blind. Maybe you're familiar with the story. Uh, We we read about it in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, uh, Jesus passes by and he sees a man that was blind from birth. And his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In your outline, I have as introduction causes, purposes, and the meta narrative. And, and as this man recounted in his testimony, he said, "This light came on that my whole life, when something didn't go the way I wanted, he I was I was just I was determined to figure the cause. I was always trying to figure out why did this happen. What did I do?" To deserve this? Or what did I leave undone to deserve this? He said it all changed for me when I stopped thinking about causes and I started thinking about purposes. And I'm telling you that because twenty-nine and thirty really they, they really explain that last phrase in eight twenty eight. Those who are called according to his purpose. That's, the, that's one of the great disclaimers, right? That was one of, uh, of, of the things we spent time last week saying you can't claim all things work together for good unless you're this person, unless you're one who loves God and has been called according to His purpose. And then what's beautiful is he'll take 29 and 30 and say, this is how God's purpose plays out in your life, oh Christian. And it's true for us, isn't it? If, if we can find purpose, Uh, Everything is easier, isn't it? And if that purpose is even greater than the loss we are dealing with, how much more so, right? It's it's when we struggle and, and we don't have any concept that somehow some good or something greater or something purposeful is happening, right? So that's where we are. In uh, verses 29 and 30, uh, the sermon and sentence this morning is that the certainty of God's purposes gives Christians certain hope. Um, uh, so, purposes, causes, and the meta narrative—I've I've used that term before. In most dictionaries, it always shows up as the second uh, definition. So, I better—I better give it to you to make sure you don't read the first one. It has to do with business and stuff, and, uh, not formerly Facebook, but uh, the meta-narrative. The, the meta-narrative is, is really, um, when we use that term, it, it's, it's an overall account. It's a, it's a big picture. In, in Christianity, it is an overall account of things that enables us to find belief, a pattern, and a meaning in their experiences. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time stopping a movie halfway. I have a hard time, just like, no, no, we're going to, we're going to do this. The worst thing ever was when the series 24 came out. Did anybody get stuck into the, the, the hole of 24, right? What did they do? It was the worst. It, I think it's when, when streaming and binge watching was created. It, it, I, I paint it back to 24, right? Because, it would be just just like, you know, it was like the Dukes of Hazard right? Before it went to a commercial break, right? It's Bo and Luke flying down the road, and there's a tractor that pulls out in front of them, and they look at each other, and the commentator goes, well, I don't know about you boys, but in Hazard County, and then it goes to, went to some, right? And you're like, I, 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 I got to see. Somehow that General Lee is going to fly, right? 24, he just got stopped, and Timmy and I look at each other and like, okay, our eyes are twitching, we, we just got to see if he makes it. Right, we we figured out we had to stop halfway between an episode to get some sleep. But a meta-narrative is what we all want to be a part of. We want to know that there is something bigger and greater going on than just Grove. It's one of the reasons I, I wanted us to enter into our whole denomination celebration of 50 years of faithfulness. It's not just three rivers, it's not just us, it's not just Grove, it's not just the Presbyterian Church in America. Right? Our God is about something and it is wonderful and it is glorious and it gives hope and assurance and comfort in the midst of struggle and suffering. And so this morning we're going to talk about some deep theological things. I'm going to take quite a bit of time on predestination and when you see there's five points, don't worry about it. Okay, I'm going to spend a lot of time on, on, on foreknowledge and predestination The other three we've already really talked about a lot already through Romans. And it's great that we find our place. You can go back, if you have a problem with this, you can go back to chapter six, back to chapter five, back to chapter three. Um, So we're gonna take a lot of time and talk about it. And I tell you why. Where God's glory and sovereignty in the salvation of human beings is belittled, is removed, is placed upon us and us making the right choice and us thinking the right things. Where that happens, the result is both pride, arrogance among Christians, and insecurity. Why? Because God is robbed of His glory. And so we, we teach these deeper things because they're in the scriptures. We teach these deeper things because God is glorified in the salvation of you and I. And in those moments where we wrestle with the depth of our sin and we wonder, is there any way our God could love us? In that moment, the depths of theology say, this is showing you just a smidgen of God's love and grace and mercy. A cost that He has taken upon Himself to make you His own. So, in some sense, these are uh, really five kind of steps in our salvation. It's an order of salvation, as we would say. Uh, and it's even, it's kind of, it's kind of compact. Um, but, but here is how God is working His purposes out in His people. How can we be certain? How can you and I be certain that verse 28 is true? That all these things are gonna work together for the good of those who love God and have been according, called according to His purpose. Here's how we can be certain. Because what God has done and is doing on our behalf. Those who He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is this purpose? This overarching purpose and narrative in our life is God himself is conforming you, his children, into the image of his son. He is sparing no expense. He will drag you through kicking and screaming whatever is necessary because he is purposeful about making his people into the image of his son. So the first thing we come across, God's foreknowledge. God's foreknowledge. Those who love Him have been called according to His purpose. He foreknew them. He foreknew us. Um, this doctrine, this word, has, has been just defined in such terrible ways in our culture and in modern evangelicalism. It, it, it's not even any, any, any kind of biblical understanding of that word. For knowledge. Here, here's how it is. So, so those people who say, I don't believe in predestination, right, y'all Presbyterians, you believe in God's election and God choosing people. And I don't believe, I don't know why when I quote other people, I get a country twang. There are some people that don't have a country twang. I'll try it in maybe a Hispanic voice. Maybe, I don't know. Anyway, there are those folks that just say, I don't want to believe in that. I don't, like, I don't like that. So, but it's in the Bible. What else are you going to cut out of there that you don't like or makes you feel uncomfortable? But as we dive into it, oh, it brings such great assurance and beauty. God foreknew. So what people say, and you may hear it, is, is what that means is God looked down on the history of time and He knew how you were going to act and He knew you weren't going to choose Him or He knew you were going to choose Him and so he predestined you. You'll hear that. Foreknowledge just means God knew something was going to happen. He just knew it was going to happen. And so, since he knew it was going to happen, he went ahead and chose you to be his. Kind of like a retroactive election. Now I want to tell you why that's wrong. Um, first, it's just not taught in Scripture. That usage of the word never is taught in Scripture. As God foreknew that this person was going to do this, and so He, it's not used in that manner. For knowledge, uh, the 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 word knowledge in Scripture to know and be known is 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 it's hard for us to define, but it but it probably one of the best definitions is is love. God knew His people. He says it in Deuteronomy: "You alone have I known, O Israel." You alone are the ones, I, the ones I, I chose to know and to make myself known among all the nations of the world. I chose you to know you, to love you. If, if for some reason it meant something else, then we would have to take that and apply it to the other portions of Scripture, wouldn't we? If, if foreknowledge really did mean that God just looked at human history, and as He is looking, He sees the good ones, and He sees the bad ones, but he chooses the good ones. Well, if we say those whom God foreknew, he predestined, then what we're saying, then it has to be universal. How does that make sense to you? God foreknew everything. He foreknows, he knows what's going to happen. And if that's the only meaning of the word, then it means every person has been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Well, again, that doesn't make sense. Right? It doesn't make sense. God has those who are his, and he has reprobates. Um, thirdly if for some reason if for some reason we held to the belief that that God's uh, foreknowledge and his predetermining predestining calling saving was based upon our choice our belief and we put salvation in the hands of people we then become the instrument of our salvation. And I know you've seen it in our culture. So-and-so just made this decision. It's the best decision they've ever made. Congratulate them on making that decision. It is treated as it's some great righteous work that all of a sudden I have, I have made this step. I have done this and I've opened the floodgates to heaven. Now, I, I wanna make sure you understand a Christian does make a decision. But the beauty of the doctrines of grace and the doctrines of God's sovereignty is a Christian makes a decision because God has foreknown them. God has foreloved them. Before we were created, before the world was formed, it's not just here in Romans. In Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, he says, you 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 were dead. Um, Ephesians 2.8, By grace you've been saved. It's through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of your works or your choices. So that no one may boast. The meaning in the Old Testament, and the New Testament, it carries this much deeper personal relational meaning. I have you. I have loved you. John Murray quotes in his commentary on Romans. He said, "No." is used in a sense practically synonymously with love. Whom he foreknew is therefore virtually equivalent to whom he foreloved. Foreknowledge is sovereign, distinguishing love. It is the only source of divine election and predestination. These other four statements, none of them are possible. They lose their meaning if we don't grasp this at the start. God foreknew his people. God, before we had done good or bad, before we were born, and his purposes amongst us said, I am choosing a people to love. Now, it's hard for us because our love, I mean, it's always based on some connection. Maybe it's just the connection of blood. It's my family, I'm supposed to love them. It's my child, I'm supposed to love them. Um, but, But our sense of love, it's always based on performance, isn't it? Well, I like this person. Do you love them? I don't know yet. I might love this person. What's going on in that conversation, right? I don't know yet if this person is safe for me to love. I don't know if I delight in them enough to love, if they've performed enough to love, if they're trustworthy enough to love. And so it's very hard for us to grasp this foreknowledge and this forelove of God, because it is completely different. Sometimes I wish there was a different word for it. God is not ever saying, you were worthy of my love. In fact, he tells Israel the opposite. Deuteronomy, he says, I, I, I chose you from among the nations, not because you are more numerous, not because you are a faithful people. In fact, you're a stiff-necked rebellion nation, and I chose to love you. I poured out my affection upon you because that's who I am, and that's what I do. And so it is hard for us to grasp because as much as we try, and I tell you, I think about these things all the time, and I, t- I, I tell myself, I'm going to choose to love a person. And sometimes I, I want to unchoose. <laughs> sometimes the cost is great. Sometimes there doesn't seem to be anything coming back to me. And I wonder, is my love being wasted? Right? That's just, I'm sorry, that's how we think. And, and God's purposes to us and I hope you grasp, really, the importance of understanding that word, that designation. I have foreknown you. I have called you. The following, then, is really how God's love is directed towards us. 1 John. We love because he loved 1 John 3. Behold what manner, what kind, what type of love the Father's given to us. That we should be called his children. And that is what we are. That, that, that has to be the, the starting point of our understanding of purpose. Right? That has to be. Uh, In in our context, Uh, we rejoice in our suffering. And not only that, he says, right? Is it chapter 5? We we rejoice in our suffering because we know what it's going to produce. Endurance and character and perseverance and hope, he says. And what does he say? And that hope will not be embarrassed by it. That hope will not disappoint us, he says. Why? Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Whom he has given us. And so verse 29. uh, Those he foreknew. Here's the next phrase. He also predestined. He determined beforehand. God determined. Because I know them with a covenantal love. Here is what I'm going to do. He predetermined us. Chose before the foundation of the earth. God predetermined to conform a people to the image of His Son. Uh, We see this in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John are, are before the Jerusalem council. And he's actually preaching a sermon to the council. He's instructing them. And in so doing, he's talking about the wickedness they did. You took an innocent man. And you delivered him up to death. But then he says this in verse 28. uh, But you did whatever your hand and your plan, God's hand and plan, had predestined to take place. For us, and in this text, what is God predetermining? He is predetermining to make a people under the image of His Son. That's what He is going to do. In verse 29, I will... uh, Conform them to the image of my son. Such a wonderful purpose to this predestination. Not why does this thing happen to me? What did I do? What's the cause of this? But the thinking switches. God is actively conforming me right now, this very moment, into the image of his son. Whatever lays ahead for me on Monday or Tuesday, or a year from now. Our God has predetermined it. He has given a purpose for me. I'm not sure how all those little intricate details will work out, but this I am sure of. That He is conforming me to the image of His Son. And He is using the highs and the lows, the knowns and the unknowns to bring about such a purpose. And so here's, I mean, here's how we can settle on it, really just rationally. If there is a God who knows all things, And he has decided for his glory to love a person. Will he not use all of his divine power, not just to save us, but to complete us, to perfect us into that which he loves and delights? And here's the thing, it's also best for us. The angst that a human being feels in not being enough even to themselves or people around them or their boss or their coach or whatever, that angst that they feel is in some sense, God placed it in there saying, oh, there is such a glorification of you as my creation that you long for it. And I'm going to bring it about. There are five objections to predestination that I'm aware of. Um, We can talk more about it later. I'll just give it to you just quickly. Um, the first is that it leads to arrogance. Uh, I would tell you that the opposite is true. Uh, the opposite is true because it, it teaches that there was no chance of me figuring out God. Uh, I, I, it, it, it was all of him. Second, uh, leads to uncertainty. And it's interesting because I think it's actually, again, the opposite of that. Uh, predestination does not lead to uncertainty uh, because those who are not saved don't worry about it. Um, third, leads to apathy. Uh, more on this uh, later, but um, Romans 6, there's not just a change of our status or change of heart. It leads um, to complacency. Uh, leads to narrow-mindedness, the frozen chosen. Uh, actually, no, it, it leads us to understand that God called a people, and as he said to Abraham, I will bless all nations through you. John Stott says this doctrine of predestination it promises humility, not arrogance. Assurance, not apprehension. Responsibility, not apathy. Holiness, not complacency. And mission, not privilege. This is not to claim there are no problems, but to indicate that the problems are more intellectual than pastoral. God has purpose, and this is how he do He does it. He foreknew us. He predestined us. And then we get these last three um, what we call God's effectual calling, right? It goes back to verse 28. Those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 30, those he predestined, he also called. Um, We use the term effectual calling because in the scriptures, there are two different types of callings that we find. There is this common call when the apostle says, come, you know, uh, we implore you be reconciled, right? There's There's a general gospel call. There's a gospel call. I hope that I give every Sunday when we meet. Come and be reconciled to God. Cast your anxieties on Him. Confess your sins. Receive and rest upon Christ. Right There's that, That's that general call. When he uses the term called here, it's what we, what we refer to as an effectual call. It is, the, it is in some sense the, the um, un, uh, unassailable voice of God to Lazarus. Come out. To Paul the Apostle. Paul, Paul. Why are you persecuting me right it is a irresistible call of god for those of you who are christians and remember a day or a time of conversion it is that happening it's the moment when our god says to you uh you're mine and i'm calling you to myself it's what we pray for our god would do um In short, it really is that moment that you realize the gospel truth. Uh, It's an irresistible call. Uh, For some people, like myself, I don't remember it happening at some moment. I remember growing up with that sense of a call. God has called me to be His own. Marky boy, God has called you to be His own. Rest and trust in Him. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. What does it look like? God calls those that He foreknew and He predestines. He calls them to be His. And then in verse 30, He also justifies. Those He called, He also justifies. And so uh, that, that is kind of that moment of conversion. And we've talked about it already, right? Through Romans already, right? He uh, justified by His grace, um, justified by faith alone and Christ alone, being declared righteous in His sight. Justified, declared righteous. Uh, What we don't have in there is this: is is the term sanctification, and sanctification is is that process from being called and made into the image of Christ. Um, But it it it, it, it's assumed in here. He's justifying us, and then lastly, God glorifies Um, glorification, and he says that he also glorified. uh, That's a that's a a linguistic style. We call it a, a a prophetic. A prophetic past where uh, things are spoken of in the past tense because it's so certain. Um, But there is also that sense of sanctification being declared, uh, being set apart, right? You're a holy people. You're a set apart people. And when God justifies, He sets us apart. It's the, the sprinkling of the blood upon us. You're set apart. You belong to me. You're my sanctified people. How can we be sure? that all things work together for good. How can we be sure? He lays out this purpose. I know I've raced through it, but but truly, Christian, that is our comfort. How can I be sure that all things are working together for the good? Well, here's how I can be sure. God says he foreknew me. You think about how wonderful that love is? God said he foreknew me. Every other relationship we have, we have secrets. Every relationship. We have thoughts that a husband won't tell his wife. Thoughts that a wife won't tell her children. We have, we have uh, parts of ourself that we want to hide, sometimes even from ourselves. Our God says, I know you thoroughly. I know you. And I love you. How can we be sure? Those he foreknew, he predestined. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. I've called you now to myself. You have been justified in my sight. And your sanctification, your sanctification, your, your, your glorification, who you will become, is so certain that I speak about it in a past tense. Schaefer, Francis Schaefer writes in The Finished Work of Christ, he says, We are made in the image of God, and yet how terribly we sometimes reflect that image. Yet, God the Father has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son, this Son of God, this marvelous one. Let's pray oh lord such truth such glory may they amaze us may they capture our imagination our hearts our affections we all long father to be loved to be significant and to be secure have some sense of 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 worth and value oh father may these doctrines not just be words on a page but may they be life to us He who loved us before we were made has predetermined to justify us and to glorify us into the image of His Son. That beautiful Son. That perfect Son. Father, we pray for patience and understanding. We pray for willingness. We thank you that in this process It is all done through your grace and the assurance of your gospel, step after step, wrestling, struggling, complaining, questioning your goodness, the audacity to question your love for us because of what's just happened today or yesterday or tomorrow. Father, we know that your son's blood has washed all of that away and will continue to wash and cleanse and that his body is at your side pleading on our behalf until that great and glorious day of our glorification. May we be faithful. May we be people of joy amidst tears, assurance amidst uncertainty, and peace amongst confusion. Set apart these elements now, Father, for holy use. What more could you have given than you have given us your very own Son? And we take this bread, and as we eat this bread, the trust that the divine presence of Christ is with us and with his people. And as we drink the cup, the present value of the blood of Christ is on our accounts now and forever. We ask this in Jesus' name.